This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the best independent sports podcast on the planet, is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. Panko Chicken is the home of the best Japanese American chicken tender, and it continues to rack up the awards in Atlanta, winning the 2019 Super Bowl Live Top Sling Vendor Award, multiple best selling tastes at the Taste of Atlanta Awards in 2017 and 2018, and even the best fried chicken award at the 2018 ATL Fest. Panko is all about connecting cultures, cultivating happiness, one chicken tender at a time. I love Panko, their family, and I can't thank them enough for their support of this podcast. It it just, it means a lot. And um, yeah, so go to their Midtown location, their Tucker location, and all their future locations as they take over Atlanta because they're family and I love them and I couldn't be more excited to see more and more locations pop up and all of that um that goes with it so go to go to panko get some chicken get some rice get some beer there's all kinds of great stuff um whatever you want panko chicken has it so go do that um also go to chase thomas podcast.com i am uh i'm writing my ass off there uh these days so go do that read my stuff you can get access to all of my previous episodes you can buy my merch you can learn more about just why I do what I do and why I believe I'm going to get where I want to go. Um, this is my dream, this, uh, this sports media thing. And um, you were going to see me on ESPN one day or Sports Illustrated or Fox Sports or DAZN or whoever um, because I'm not going to quit. I am, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep punching out episodes, writing articles, and just outworking everyone because I just I just want this more and I believe my product and I believe in where I'm going. Um we're over three hundred episodes strong and this is what I want. Uh there will be no slowing down. Took a break, but this is uh this is my jam and this is what I want. This is my passion. And uh yeah, so leave a rating. Leave a review on iTunes. It means a lot. Share my articles on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Um, and join me as I keep climbing the ladder and all of that because I I just I need your support. So if you like the podcast, keep listening, keep subscribing, tell tell your friends, keep sharing it out, keep reading my work. And uh yeah, so okay. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Fuck the Chase Thomas podcast. 
for people who have nothing but time to kill. All right, welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. After my week-long vacation, my first vacation from this podcast in like two and a half years, um, I hated it. Let me go ahead and say that right now. Did not like not doing anything for a week. That drove me insane. But thankfully, Lindsay is okay. Um, there's a, the, is okay with uh, me bringing back the podcast tonight. So, did you see what I did there, Lindsay? I, I I do see what you did there. Okay, just wanted to make sure because sometimes I'm not sure if my jokes land as hard as they should, and I'm glad that one landed extremely hard. So, you are um, besides a just a Matt Ryan hater and Joe Flacco disciple. <laughs> um, I, you're very familiar with the the AFC North as a, a Ravens blogger slash fan, and we are going to talk about the AFC North tonight because um, the AFC North, I think, outside of the NFC North and maybe the NFC South a little bit, um, is one of the more complicated divisions to kind of sort through and figure out, okay, I could see outside of the Bengals, any of these three teams going 11-5, and 12-4 and, and winning the division. I could see all three teams in the playoffs. I could, you could even say you could see the Bengals getting a wild card spot if everything went right with their injuries. And it's like, well, when does that ever happen in Cincinnati? So I, I want to parse through that tonight. Um, but first, will you ever let up on the Matt Ryan stuff? Are you ever going to stop this? Never. Never. I will take it as far as I possibly can. Like when he when they left him in that game last week, mm-hmm. I was I even said like, man, I really want them to take him out because if he gets hurt, like that's really going to hurt my content. So <laughs> I feel bad for our country, <laughs> but this is tremendous content. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I will not let up ever. That's just how it is. And even if he ever does win a Super Bowl, which he won't, um, Joe Flacco always won one first. So. Okay. Well, that I mean that did happen. <laughs> Joe Flacco did win a Super Bowl, and Matt Ryan did not. Um, yeah. I still remember where I was. I remember who I was with. I remember my thought process at halftime. I remember everything. Like I that morning after, it's really hard to understate what the city of Atlanta was like the day after that Super Bowl. You had to be there, but it of course it was a cloudy day, and it was just quiet thick and just just, yeah it was awful it was it it just i don't know how to explain it if you weren't there other than it was just morose and it was like chernobyl happened it was yeah i mean i can totally relate after uh billy cundiff missed that kick Mm -hmm. that it was it was like that it was totally like that i mean it wasn't as bad as blowing a 25 point lead in a super bowl but it was bad god i mean i remember the girls with at the time um, wanted to take a walk at the start of the third quarter. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. And she's like, are you not, you're not worried about missing portion of the game. I'm like, no, 28, three, like this would literally be the biggest um, come from behind defeat of all time. <laughs> like it literally has never happened. Like the Falcons would have to play the worst possible game in the second half, do everything wrong. The Pats would have to just go on this ridiculous run for this to even be a close to a conversation like it's just it's not a thing and as like the biggest kyle shanahan disciple i was just like riding the high and i'm like oh he's trying to step on the neck this is done i think they're actually gonna blow him out um did not happen and then what happened that did not happen and i just remember being (laughs) but like the whole second half i was like no i'm still not worried like it took me until 
the <laughs> until the sack where I the was the confetti like, oh. dropped. No, it wasn't even that. Like I just once the Pats got the ball back, I knew they were winning that game. But like it was that. I mean, not to revisit and rehash all this just awfulness, but that was. It took the very last point where Matt Ryan took the bad sack and everything where I was like, oh, this this is actually going to happen. They're they're not going to do this. And um, yeah, it, it, it was still just wild. Yeah, I, I think I blacked out. <laughs> just from euphoria of Matt Ryan self-combusting like that? Yeah, because I was so afraid that he was going to win a Super Bowl. And I had like prepared myself for it. And I was like, man, I'm going to like people are just going to be terrible <laughs> and then like that happened and i was like man <laughs> what if after God's really looking out for me lamar jackson is out of the league in a couple years and the the ravens in are still in win now mode and matt ryan's fallen off a little bit and the falcons are like we're we're gonna move on and they uh they trade matt ryan to the ravens what do you do eh. you're like bring know. back jeff blake yeah anthony wright um, where's he i don't at? know I'm. I haven't been like a fan of what a lot of the decisions that the Ravens have made over the past couple of years. I'm not just talking about the Joe Flacco thing, the Lamar Jackson thing. Mm-hmm. It's just. I mean, there have been numerous. Like, I if I were to name everyone, we'd be talking until next Tuesday. So. Okay, and I have other. We I have other stuff to do. So next Tuesday is probably not. <laughs> um gonna happen and that's a really long podcast and i don't think anybody wants that um before we actually get into the four teams though what is the condition what is the state of affairs on flacco island how are you feeling heading into year one of of what can we what is the marketing behind flacco and denver do you have any flacco flacco fever in denver mile high flacco mile high flacco (laughs) you know what's weird is like something I'm pushing on the, like the summer is that like, I, I really do believe the Broncos have 2018 bears potential where like Vic Fangio is going to have a top five defense. We know that we know the offensive line has like more hope than it's had in Denver in like 10 plus years. Like they just never have a good offensive line, just like the chargers, but to a smaller degree. Um, I love Cortland Sutton a lot. I like the running back group. I, I just, I think that defense is going to be too good for them to be bad. And bringing in a Kyle Shanahan disciple as your OC, love that. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think there is real reason to believe they could be a wild card team. Like they're not going to compete for the AFC title game or anything like that. But I think they have real wild card potential, and I actually have them in the playoffs right now. Yeah, I um, I think anyone Flack is under a lot of pressure from a lot of different people, fans, players, like his the Ravens. Um, I think he does really well. And um, I mean, Denver kind of shows that they wanted to, at least for the next couple of years, this year, next year, whatever, wherever they decide to go, they wanted to get him some guys that kind of really enunciate like his skill set. Like they got Noah Fant in the draft and like the Ravens never really did that. So um I think they're trying to push their best Flacco forward, which is what the Ravens didn't do. Um, And like you mentioned Sutton, like they've been killing it in camp. So So you're feeling good. I am. I'm feeling great. Do you have a Flacco Broncos jersey? Do I own one? No, I actually have one on the way to me right now from him. So, okay. Have you met him? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Does he every time I'm in Baltimore, I, I, I invite his family to the bar. 
Okay. Okay. Will yeah. they come? I mean, no, but... <laughs> 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 but the invitation's open, is what you're saying. It's yeah. a, is it still open? Oh, for sure. Okay. That's that's what I thought. Um, well, let's do the Ravens first. Um, I okay. want to break it down, like, why make the case, basically, for this team winning the division and then the case against them. What is the case okay. for the Ravens to win the AFC North this year? Um, they're going to have to fall into it, I think. Um, you can say anything you want about Lamar Jackson improving as a passer. Um, I don't think he could get any worse than he did last year, mm-hmm. but I haven't really seen, there's been all this talk about how the, it's a new offense and blah, blah, blah. And I get it's only been like two preseason games, but I haven't really seen that much of a difference. Um, like everybody says that I hate Lamar Jackson, blah, blah, blah. That's just not true. I just, think he still needs a lot of work to do. I mean, you just don't wake up one day and like know how to throw a football in the NFL. Like you have to work at it. So that being said, I think he still has a lot of work to do. Um, his awareness hasn't been great so far this camp. And um, from what I've heard and seen, he'll have a good day and he'll have a bad day and then he'll have an okay day and then he'll have another bad day. And then he's, he's not very consistent is what I'm saying. So um, I think a lot of teams are going to be able to capitalize on that. Um, you saw with the Chargers last year in the playoffs, they kind of figured him out a little bit. Um, and I don't know. I think they, they really should have gone after the offensive line a lot more in the draft and they really should have built around that a little bit because in order for him to be successful, then they need to have the pieces there and they didn't really do that. So that's kind of another reason why I think he's, he's not going to take a step back, but I don't think he's going to have the improvement that a lot of people have seen from him. Um, that being said, I think on the other side of the ball, I think Earl Thomas it was a great pickup, obviously, but I, he's only one guy and they lost three. So um, anytime you lose three defensive leaders, you kind of have your hands tied a little bit for at least the next couple of years. You're not going to be able to replace all of them in one off season. I mean, Earl Thomas is great, but he's only, like I said, he's only one guy. So. I mean, that's a really good secondary, um, think, though. My, Marlon Humphrey, right. Thomas, Jefferson, like, you have a lot of dudes. Sure. Um, but, I mean, still, like, the like this is a league where you have to score points also. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. They're going to have to... They're supposed to pass gonna, a little bit, but then you look at their right, receiver yeah. room, and I, I, Seth Roberts, is he starting? Like, is that a thing? Or, I have I don't know. They're, half of their receivers are hurt again. Yeah. Um, which has been like a ongoing theme with the Ravens. I for the past, uh, how uh, Rashad Perriman scarred me for life. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't agree. I like Hollywood Brown. I think he's a great player, but I don't think he fits in this offense at all. He's like a deep receiver, and Lamar Jackson can't throw deep. I don't really know what where they were going with that. Um. But they have a lot of talent. I just think it's, like, all over the place, if that makes sense. Like, Mark Andrews, the tight end, he's fabulous. He's great. But Hurst was a first-round pick last year. They have a lot of dudes. Sure. But, it, I mean, Hayden Hurst, you have the health issue. Yeah. Like, there's always, like, there's everybody on that team, I feel like, has a question mark. And that's, like, not, that's not a standout, like, oh, yeah, they're winning the division kind of roster right now. I mean, that could change, you know? Yeah. But. I love Mark Ingram, and he looks good. From what I've seen, Mark yeah, Ingram yeah. looks like he's going to be fine for them. And they haven't really had like a stable 
kind of running back room in a while. It feels like they just had this never ending revolving door with like the Alex Collins types just popping out of nowhere. And just, it seems like with Greg Roman, they're going to be more committed and Ingram's in line for big gear. And I, I just, it seems like the plan is to do kind of what he did in San Francisco with Kaepernick a little bit, but like, um, the offensive line has to be there. And I mean, yeah. they've invested in the first round for big guys like Orlando Brown. He was a third round pick, but you have Ronnie Stanley on the left side. Like you have um, some, t- I, I get where you're saying on the interior, especially, but I, I just don't think this team can be bad. I think this defense just has too much. I guess it, a lot of it depends on what you think about Pernell McPhee and Matt Judden, who seems like everybody's just penciled in as a all pro this year, which might be the case. But we have to see because yeah, I mean, he lost 16 sacks like it was Suggs and um, Smith departing. Like that's just a lot of production that you're just like, all right, uh, Martindale will find ways to get these guys involved and they will not miss a beat. Yeah, I mean, that's easy to say, but it's harder to do. So I don't have a lot of things in the Ravens this year, sadly, but. But can they be bad? Yeah. I don't think they can be bad. I guess the more I mean, they really can really it's implode. A, yeah, um, they they don't have a lot of really good depth besides like in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, like any of the offensive line, like Marshall Yonda hasn't practiced at all. He goes down. Like, who are you putting in there? Uh, his they name is Dara Williams, street a, free agent from this year. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't had a good center since Matt Burke, so. You know, it's like they don't like once one guy goes down, like who who do you have some guy off the street, which has been like the running theme for the past couple of years. So and I don't think like last year, like the defense was able to pick that up and carry it and take it to the playoffs. But like this year, I don't see that happening. I don't think the defense is good enough to carry the team on their back. OK, um, so. what do you think about Brown, though? What, what do you think about Hollywood and Lamar and the, the speedster ideology that they're going with where it's like, we're just going to beat teams by being fast as shit on offense. I mean, like I said before, that sounds great, but we is it really going to work it. that way? Yeah. It'll be very entertaining if it works out. Like if the Ravens, if everything sure. goes the way that they want it to, this team's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Oh, for sure. But I don't, maybe that's just like, the devil's advocate in me mm. saying like, Oh no, like I'm not saying they're going to be terrible, but I'm just saying, I think this, I think a lot of people are expecting a lot more than they're going to get. Yeah, that's fair. Um, a team that is going into the season with a very different type of hype surrounding them, the Cleveland Browns. So what's the case for the Browns winning the division? And what is the case against them winning the division? Um, against them making the division is they're the Browns. Their luck will run out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but for them, I mean, I love Baker Mayfield. I love Odell Beckham. I love that team. That team is so good on paper. Um, like I said with the Ravens, like if, or what you said, actually, um, if it goes how they say they're going to, how it's going to go, then that'll be great. That'll be fabulous. Um, but they're the Browns. So who really knows if everything's going to go um, according to plan, but um I think they have a better chance at everything going to plan than the Ravens do. You know what I don't like? Um, Greg Robinson yeah. being their starting left tackle. <laughs> Not Joe Thomas. That is a concern for me, but they like they had a really good offensive line last year. That was something like when you looked at who they actually had and just all the turnover from like those great Brown offensive line from years ago, like it 
it was weird because I kept looking at like the PFF grades and they're still grading out well. And I'm like, I don't understand how this is working when you look at who's actually um, playing. Like they just, it doesn't really make any sense to me, but it, it works. seems like, right? Yeah, for sure. I like their skill position guys. Like I like Higgins. I like Beckham. I like Landry. Um, there's Antonio Callaway. So we'll see. He's suspended and all that kind of stuff. But like Todd Monken got brought in and it, he seems like the exact opposite of what Freddie Kitchens wants to do because Todd Monken mm-hmm. is from the Southern Miss um, regime and just with dirt cutter with throw, throw, throw. And Freddie Kitchens revitalized his team by establishing the run with um, Nick Chubb and everybody else. And now you have Kareem Hunt in the fold. And it seems like it's going to be interesting to see how much of an impact Monken has, but also like Steve Wilkes. Like, are we sure going from Greg Williams to Steve Wilkes is an upgrade. Are we sure that the schematic fit of Steve Wilkes and what he's going to be doing with guys like Greedy Williams, who by all accounts seems like not a great fit for what Steve Wilkes wants to do. Um, What if Denzel Ward was a better fit for Greg Williams? What if there's just a lot more questions surrounding Olivier Vernon and Miles Garrett on the defensive line? I think I have more questions about the defense and how Steve Wilkes is going to be than the offense. I think it's going to be really hard for uh, an offense headlined by Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and friends to not be, and David Njoku, to not be extremely good. But the defense, I could actually see being worse than a year ago, and that might actually end up costing them. Right. And um, just to add to that, like if this is going to be like their time to do it, like this is the perfect time to do it. Like you said in, at the beginning, every team on this in this division has a question mark, and like this is like their time to absolutely do it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what you think about Baker. But if Baker's in a top five quarterback for years, then they'll have their windows open for a long time. But I guess it just depends on what sure. you think about Baker. Um, and I'm a big Baker guy, but we'll we'll see. Freddie Kitchens also, this is year one. Like it's one thing to do it as an interim. It's another thing. We've seen so many interim coaches that go on those streaks down the season and they get the the full time gig and it just doesn't work out. Like there's just something like Ed Ordron was the king of this in college football for years. Like he just he was an amazing interim coach. Like he's maybe the best interim head coach of all time. And it's because you like rally the troops, it's a different voice down the stretch and you get these guys who were playing for nothing to play for something. It's it's a different type of deal, but um, there's a lot of film and there's a lot of personalities like Jarvis Landry, Beckham, Baker. Like that's just Kareem Hunt. Like that's just a lot, a lot of stuff. So I don't yeah. know. I, I'm interested to see what happens and I hope they're good because they're on primetime a lot and I don't like when yeah. primetime <laughs> games are bad. So that would be good for the NFL. Too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and this is like, I mean, even if they do have to play around a little bit on defense and, you know, fix certain things and tweak certain things, like, this is the time to do it. I mean, you have questions in Lamar Jackson's, you have, Lamar Jackson, sorry. You have questions in Andy Dalton forever. And then, like, obviously, Aaron's getting up there. So, I mean, this is their kind of time. If they need to tweak things on defense, then this is their time to do it. The Steelers, we've mentioned them a little bit. Um, I'll go ahead and say I think they're winning the division this year. Um, Same. And, okay. So why? Why do you think they're winning the division? Um, I don't – I do want to say this, and I don't want to say this, but I feel like they're due. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that – I mean, they're just able to do – Whenever you feel like they're they're done, whenever you count them out, like they always come back. James Conner, perfect example. Everybody thought they were done once Le'Veon Bell walked, you know. And um, I mean, he just came 
came right in and took up and picked up the slack. I feel like the same thing's happening with Antonio Brown leaving. Like you've got Juju, you know, like he's going to come in and it's going to be like, who is Antonio Brown? So um, I mentioned earlier about uh, Ben Roethlisberger getting up there, but I mean, he's still Ben Roethlisberger. So an old Ben Roethlisberger is, you know, a top quarterback for any other team. So it is interesting because I was going through like what PFF was saying with big Ben. Cause it was like my, a lot of my exposure with him because that team just was not very good last year. Like the, the Falcons game and the way they won that game was just very different than the way the Steelers usually won because like Connor just literally ran the ball like a billion times on the Falcons and just steamrolled them into submission. But like a, it does seem like by all accounts, he has lost a little zip and he lost yeah. a lot of weapons and it was like one of those weird things where my whole thing going into the Steelers stuff with the triple B's or Killy, killer bees, whatever, just ride it out. I didn't understand like with Le'Veon and Antonio and big Ben where they were just like, Hey, look, Ben's going to be gone in a couple of years, but this is enough talent when we're all on the same team for us to get a ring. Like, let's just ride this out. We may have some difference of opinion and all this kind of stuff, but like this offense is always good enough to win a Super Bowl when we're together and let's just ride right. this out and it was always very frustrating to me to just see like god what what if what if they just got a couple more years of that group together especially with that offensive line and everything else I just I, I just yeah. kind of figured they were going to break through at some point this year stuff sucks but guess what now they got Devin White and he or Devin Bush I get them backwards it's one of the which right. one is it I was right was I right the first time is Devin White or is it Devin Bush Am I losing my mind? Hold on. It's Devin White. Or, yes, Devin White. Okay, I had it right the first time. Um, it felt wrong. Okay. Um, it's, it's. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the offensive line. Like, they're fabulous. And they lost Mike Munchak to your Denver Broncos, who, another reason I'm kind of writing this Bronco high is that, like, he's just a great offensive line coach. And. Um, the Broncos have not had that in a very long time. And the Steelers, they promoted from within there. But we'll have to see. Um, I think you won't see the departure of Munchak affect them much in year one. But what we might see in a couple of years, kind of like when Sarah Mechia, um left in New England. And that offensive line took a major hit. And they brought him back um, out of retirement. I wonder if Munchak's departure has the same kind of thing later on. But that group... I, I just think Juju will be fine, and Deontay Johnson, by all accounts, seems like uh, just an Antonio Brown clone, and maybe just with less of the off-the-field stuff. And then, I mean, James Washington's right. going to get more targets. I think a lot of people are yep. looking at him as like, oh, what has he done? It's like, well, he didn't get a, the targets last year. And I think now there's a real possibility he just gets a bunch of that number two spot, and Juju is going to command a lot of attention. We know what Connor is. We I I just think there's so many reasons that like it's a bounce back here for them where like just having the AB and Le'Veon stuff behind them, I, I think it's going to be really good for them. Yeah. And we didn't talk about the defense a lot, but they have a lot on defense too. I mean, TJ Watt's great. Um, Bud Dupree's not bad. You know, it's like they, they're, like you said, they're totally like a good enough team to win. I love and I feel like Pittsburgh Steelers in 2019. Year. Totally good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hate them. I do. But I mean, I feel like this is their, I mean, the, honestly, like the Ravens aren't that much of a threat as they used to be. So it's not like they have to, um, I almost said like, it's not like they have to prepare for them like they used to, but I mean, it's true. Um, 
that rivalry was so huge with the Ravens defense and this defense, and it's not that way anymore. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm concerned about the secondary. I think the secondary might really suck again, but um, they should be fine. I think with Tuit, with Hayward, with Hargrave, with Watt, with Dupree, now with Bush, Mark Barron somehow still in the league. Um, so that's cool. That dude I feel like is going to be playing safety for teams in like 2073. He's like the lawyer Malloy of modern NFL where it's like, oh, he's still getting checks. Shout out to him. Um, but yeah, the Steelers going to actually be okay. And let me leave the Steelers stuff with this. Since 2000, the Steelers have drafted five players 15th overall or higher. Plaxico Burris, number eight in 2000. Ben Roethlisberger, number 11 in 2004. Lawrence Timmons, number 15 in 2007. Ryan Shazier, number 15 in 2014 and Bush number 10 in April. Basically whenever the Steelers get this regime <laughs> that draft uh 15th overall or better, they, they nail it. So I think they're going to be all right with Bush. Right. Yeah. That's wild. Like they never draft in the top 15. That's just like a, a remarkable consistency. But like when they do, they hit, it, it turns out folks, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they know what they're doing. It's crazy to me how, like, the Ravens suck so much at drafting wide receivers, and yet the Steelers are somehow, like, perfect at it. It's really... It drives me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's, like, a really hard one to scout, too, and, like, the Patriots are terrible at it. Um, You can be a smart team and be just terrible at drafting wide receivers. I feel like edge rushers is the most complicated because... Or maybe offensive line, like, just because it's a different kind of scheme that they're doing, and you're like, how is this going to translate in the NFL level? But, like... I don't know. It seems like those are just really hard positions to identify. Like as good as they look in college, like it will work. And I I don't know. I'd love to like pull a bunch of coaches as to why they think that is. I don't know, but um, we'll have to see. Maybe the, the, the Ravens finally did it this year. Maybe they finally did a a good job and it's not Brashad Perriman 2.0. Or anybody else. I'm not. I'm not holding my breath. But who else? Like I don't even remember who else. So the Ravens drafted. I mean, they didn't draft Stokely. They didn't draft a lot of their. I mean, Jacoby Jones, legendary Jacoby Jones. Um, Steve Smith. Steve they Smith. Draft. They didn't draft like Derek Mason. Yeah, none of their guys I mean, that been good. They yeah. drafted. Tory Smith, I think, was the only one. Tory Smith. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, the Bengals. Last but not least, the team that I can't quit. That. Um, <laughs> I, they were five and four last year when AJ Green played. They're one and six without him. I still think the Bengals would have gone to the Super Bowl that year that Dalton got hurt. If he had not gotten hurt, that team was loaded. They were close. That AFC was wide open that year. And unfortunately, it did not come together. But like, if Jonah Williams doesn't go down this offseason and they lose their starting left tackle and they had Cordy Gunn at that left guard spot, I am much more interested in that offensive line because that offensive line has has problems, but they drafted Billy Price as number one um, in 2018. They just have a gaping hole at left guard, so I don't really know what they're going to do there. So the offensive line might be bad, but they have Tyler Eifert still, if he can play. You have CJ Uzoma. They they lost my guy um, who went to uh, Click Clerk. What is his name? Croft. Tyler Croft. Um, who yeah, had yeah. like an amazing passer rating when targeted by Dalton um, when he played, but he got hurt all the time. You have Joe Mixon, as gross as it is, still in the fold, and yeah. he's still really good. Um, 
I just I love the three man unit of Tyler Boyd who really broke out last year, and I don't think a lot of people realize that Tyler Boyd is now officially here and extremely good at football. Um, John Ross yeah. when he's healthy, John Ross. I I like a lot, and then if AJ's healthy, like that three man unit. I mean, it's right up there with the Falcons, I think, and um, we'll have to see. But I I like the idea of this offense being healthy and being good. Um, the defense, a little bit more questions. But I could see a path to this team making the playoffs. What is the path to them winning the division or not making the playoffs altogether? Um, I mean, like you said, that that offense is good. This is their year. I hate saying like this is their year to do it, but it is. I mean, um, if you want to say that the Ravens are their biggest competition, like the Ravens' defense is weaker. Um, I mean, if you put AJ Green up against uh, that Ravens secondary, you might have a problem. But for some reason, AJ Green has always had the Ravens number, like any day of the week. So um, you have that advantage there. So I think that's going to be the key is the offense. Yeah. And they're like, you know, what's weird too with them is you talk about the Ravens and their weird drafts with receivers. The Bengals, it always seems like they draft the right DB but they never work out. Like we always love their draft picks when it comes to defensive guys. And then all their DBs never work out. Like their defensive line guys work out like Carlos Dunlap, Gino Atkins, Carl Lawson, Deshaun Davis. Just kidding. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think we just give them. Yeah. I don't the- ever remember seeing like a good guy back there. Dre Kirkpatrick hasn't like lived a- up to the hype. Oh, yeah. I mean, William Jackson broke out, but that was like kind of random and he was really bad those first couple years um denard what was Adam his name? <laughs> darquez denard terrible like they just they don't draft well yeah. but those guys all seem like they should be good when they get to the nfl and they never work out in cincinnati i don't get it they need to fire someone i guess i mean they did they cleaned house <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true <laughs> they already did that uh <laughs> Um, well, actually, they didn't fire the GM, and they have like I don't know if you've ever like just been a huge football nerding and like gone through how deep certain front offices are compared to others, but like the Bengals front office is unfathomably limited compared to the rest of the NFL. It's wild. I, I it's like seven people, and you go through every other team, and it's like <laughs> a bajillion. And the Bengals with Paul Brown employ like five people in their office i just imagine like a couple of cubicles and that's it and i i'm not joking it signs it sounds a little hyperbolic but i promise you the difference between the Bengals front office versus the rest of the nfl is gigantic i don't get it that's crazy i've never heard that before yeah just go to wikipedia go through all of it for some reason <laughs> it's all listed and you'll go through it and i'm like what in the world why do they only have okay great like they don't have like real like all these different types of scouts and everything it, it's weird um was it them who hired like a baseball like analytics guy or is that the Browns? that was the browns oh okay who i don't believe i was about to anymore. say like why do they why do they have that <laughs> like why did they hire that guy but they don't have like a i don't know go ahead <laughs> no you i'm t- I, I just i hope you- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're just like finding everybody else except football people. Like the Bengals are just like, no, we're good. We're just going to keep <laughs> yeah. finding our own guys. I mean, but the sad thing is, is like when I said that, I was like, oh, yeah, this totally makes sense. They if would totally you, hire a baseball guy. They really should. If I told you their director of player personnel was named Duke Tobin, would you believe me? Yes. Okay. 
that's that is, is who it? it is. Yeah. His name's Duke Tobin, and I'll never forget that name. The first time I saw it, I was like, there's no way that's the, the guy. But it, it's Duke Tobin. That's bleak. That is bleak. But it, dope name. It should, like, I, that's like a name that you're either going to be a badass or it's just going to be insanely awkward for you for the rest of your life because you just don't look like a Duke Tobin. I mean, my childhood dog's name was Duke. Really? So. Yeah. What is your current dog? You have a Pomeranian, right? Yeah, his name's Howie. Okay. Interesting. Uh, my parents have a Pomeranian, and oh, what color? Uh, how do I describe? It's like not beige. Oh, what? What? How do I describe this? It's like brown beige. Like I don't know how I describe her color. That's really like, weird. Like I a think. reddish color. Like yeah. a reddish. Like an auburn color. Yeah. Okay, those are cute. Yeah, mine's like a like a white tan and white like a white color. So. Yeah. Okay. That was like the first one we had growing up, Rusty. But yeah, so you're right. The Auburn Aww. color. She looks like Auburn. Yeah, that's it. Super sweet I love dog. Pomeranian. Yeah. Low maintenance. You don't really have to do oh, much. Oh, mine's not. Oh, really? <laughs> mine's so high maintenance. Well, I also spoiled it. So. Okay. I mean, like, all yeah. at once is attention all the time, but that's about it. Like, that's, yeah. that's not crazy. Doesn't really bark. Doesn't really do. Just and they're just funny to watch when they get really hyper. They just bounce around and it just it looks ridiculous when she gets her hair done and all this kind of stuff. It, it she's great, great dog. Love mine, mine thinks he's like a German Shepherd. <laughs> That's my um my childhood dog, the miniature pincher. He uh-huh. only got in fights with dogs bigger than him. Like he, I think, thought he was a big dog and has like a big dog alpha vibe, but he's eight pounds and it just. Did not work um, for him. So he is now, I am 28, so he is 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. They get up there, and he's mine's still in good shape. Tw- yeah, mine's 12, and he, I mean, he's pretty much living a the life. There you go. All right, <laughs> Lindsay. Well, we made it through the AFC North. If you Let's wrap it up here with, you had to bet right now how it goes I, we know you have Steelers one like if you had to give one through four and who makes the playoffs out of this division who is it okay um I'm going Steelers in the division then the Browns then the Ravens then the Bengals interesting and nobody else makes the playoffs I can't just I, I it's so dumb that I can't pencil in the Bengals as the worst team in the division. I just feel like they're destined for third and like one of the top three teams just like flames out due to injury or something else. Like it's just going to be, I mean, I can totally see that too. And then we're going to be like, how did the Bengals finish with a better record than the Browns this year? And it's going to be, it's going to be wild. All right, Lindsay. Well, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah. um, You guys can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, everything's the same name, Lindsay. Okay. And then you can check out lindsayokay.com. And yeah, it's all the same. You guys can stalk me easy. <laughs> Great. Go do that, I guess, because Lindsay just said so. <laughs> Don't, though, actually. <laughs> and Matt Ryan blew a 25 point lead in, in a Super Bowl. Okay. Bye, Lindsay. You hate to see it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> you're, you're, you're cut off. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, we're back 
on the Chase Thomas podcast, a returning guest. It's been a little bit, but Mr. Rutherford is back. Mr. Rutherford, how are you doing, sir? Hey, Chase. Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast again. How do you feel about being Mr. Rutherford, being an adult where <laughs> that is a thing? Because that is your Twitter handle. You spell your, your first name in an interesting way. I had forgotten how you spelled it. <laughs> I reached back out to you about tonight and I was like, oh, that's right. We had this conversation like a year and a half ago. Yeah, obviously uh, I didn't choose how my first name was spelled. That was my parents, but mm-hmm. it, it is very unique. But I, I've actually had my Twitter account since uh, I think 2012, maybe. So since my ending my freshman year or beginning my sophomore year of college. So I've gone by the same, I had the same Twitter handle for since then. So I mean, I've had that for a long time, but I feel like I've more or less kind of grown into it more as I've, I've gotten older. So okay. it, it certainly sets me apart. I don't, I don't want to do the whole, you know, kind of basic type of thing that, you know, a lot of sports and, and not that, not that yours is basic or anything like that, but just, you know, you see the guys that have the, their names and then the company they work for or something like that. Okay. And I just, I felt like mine's at least it's professional, but it's not, you know, I'm not taking myself too seriously. Okay. I don't, I've gotten Mr. Chase. I've gotten Mr. Thomas and that, like Mr. Thomas is my dad. And that just, that weirds <laughs> me out. But Mr. Chase sounds like, I, I don't know. It sounds weird and creepy to me. So I don't like that either. And I, I don't really have an alternative. So I'm just like, please just, just chase. I understand. But then I also think about like what it's going to be like when I'm old, because I feel like Chase is not an old person name. There are exactly zero old people with the name Chase, right? Have you ever met an old man named Chase? No, it's going to be weird when we our, our generation gets older because you're going to have a lot of grandpas and grandmas with names like Brittany or I mean, like you said, Chase and things like that, which just you know don't exist right it now. We, we don't have right. We don't have parents and grandparents with names like like Brittany and maybe some Chases, but it, it's not. It's 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 going to be interesting to see when we get older, just kind of the the grandparents' names and we're when our our sixties and seventies and stuff. Yeah. Well, you're also the managing editor of a very good website that how many people should check out at rockytopinsider.com. It's, um, so uh, we've talked about this where my, I have a lot of family that went to Tennessee. Um, they're very invested in where this program is going. Um, going to go ahead and tell you, they're all pretty pumped about Fulmer getting the AD job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have some questions. It gave me some Lynn Swan vibes. It gave me some like, are we sure he can handle everything that comes with this? All that kind of stuff. How is Phil handling it how do you think he's done so far as ad i think so far so good i mean he hasn't had any any to me really any missteps as athletics director so far um i mean he's been he's been on the job for a little over a year at this point he took over um on december 1st of 2017 after the all the mess with john curry and all that all that stuff i'm 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 struggling to remember but i'm I'm almost certain we talked about that last time i was on the podcast with you um but so far he's so good i mean he, he was able to negotiate the situation with Rick Barnes when he was when he was in the men's basketball looking at, you know, potentially taking the UCLA job. He was former, I think him and and one of the major kind of players here in the booster side of things um, and also actually in the administration side of things. Now, um, they all they handled that very well, I thought, and then did about as good a job as they could. And they showed that, you know, they're taking men's basketball seriously at UT. He made the tough choice of moving on from the Lady Vols head coach, Holly Warlick. I mean, he he was here coaching at the same time holly warlick was playing yeah um and they, they've they, yeah they, they they he didn't want to do that that was a, mm. that was a, to me a good sign of him kind of pushing aside his personal feelings and saying mm. hey this is the right move to be made and I, th- I think i i'm very curious to see how the kelly harper 
hire works out. I really like her as a, as a person and just mm. what she's done as a coach and kind of the attitude she approaches things with. So I, I think on paper, it looks like a pretty good hire, but obviously you won't know for another couple of years. But overall, I would say that Fulmer to me has proven to be more than just a football guy. Now, does that, you know, how does that continue over the next couple of years? We'll, we'll have to see. But here in this first year plus year and a half so on the job, I, I think he's 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 done a good job. I, I I don't really think there are that many people who would have any complaints about the the job he's done so far. Is John Curry back in college sports? Yes, okay. he took a position. Oh my goodness, I wish I could remember where it was. I think it was Wake Forest. Okay. Um, I think he, he took a job. Yes, somewhere in, in some type of some type of role somewhere. Yeah, he's he currently is the, the uh, college athletics administrator. Yeah, I don't I know what that, that actually means. It's it's a job. Okay. <laughs> That's all I know. Is it's some type of job he has that I, I was fairly surprised he he got after the way things happened at Tennessee. It seems like this is director. Okay, so it's just another way of saying AD, basically. So he's okay. essentially the AD there. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Interesting. He got he landed back on his feet, but that was we don't need to rehash all that. But it was a tumultuous time, and it was it was weird. Um, how are Vols fans feeling about this Tennessee football team and the direction of the program right now? I'd say there are two pretty distinct camps at this point, and, and at this point in, in the fall, you know, a lot of fans and, and, and across the country, it doesn't matter what team they're a fan of, for the most part, you know, they're getting more and more optimistic as time goes on, unless you're having a bunch of injuries or, or a bunch of um, attrition at some somehow at this point. If you're just having a fairly normal fall camp, fans are getting more optimistic. They're they're kind of adding a win here and there to the win total they had back in, in June or July. Um, I think that's probably the majority of all fans of saying, hey, you know, this, hearing all the reports in fall camp, hearing the things that, that Jerry and Pruitt and the assistants have said and just different things that we were everybody's hearing is getting everyone optimistic saying, hey, this could, this could be a team that could surprise some people. Maybe they can go maybe at least seven and five, if not maybe eight and four in the regular season and, and looking at some of these games and seeing, you know, Florida's not having a great offseason themselves. So, hey, maybe that's a game that Tennessee I mean, they did get Britton Cox. That's true, but it will, I, don't, I don't think he'll be eligible to play this year. That'll Are you be sure. I, think I don't know. That's, that's going to be interesting to. That's something that's going to be interesting to follow. Um, but I, I think there's there's a, a large portion of all fans saying, "Hey, you know, there's a, there's a reason for optimism in year two of Jeremy Pruitt." But I also think there is a at least a sizable portion of the fan base who are also they've they've done this before. They've they've been, gone on this merry-go-round uh, before. They've they've gone on this ride. I don't know how many times where they're saying. You know, I'm gonna wait and, and I'll believe it when I see it, and I, th- yeah. I think I think that's fair. fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think being optimistic is fine and fair too. I mean, that's you're a fan. You you should be able to have some enjoyment. You know, I, I understand mm-hmm. being optimistic, but I also understand anyone who's having any sort of hesitancy with the last decade plus that Tennessee's had. With they they you know, fans have been told what one, two, three. This would be their fourth time since former was fired that they've been mm-hmm. told to. Be patient. There's a rebuild, and, and, and you, you get tired of hearing that. And then that's 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 you know, whether that's fair or not, you get tired of it. You, you get tired of being told the same thing. So I, I think that there are two distinct camps. I do think the the optimistic camp is probably bigger than the second one. But I think I think for the most part, people are expecting improvement, just a to a varying degree of what improvement you're going to see. Will this team be a a six and six, you know, kind of squeaking into a bowl game, or can this team surprise some people and get the seven eight wins in the regular season? I think I think that's kind of the the prevailing sentiment. Is yes, we expect improvement, but how much improvement exactly? Yeah, and that's just another season. Like you need experience. You need to keep seeing more and more games. I mean, the Auburn win was baffling as as an Auburn guy that was uh, an awful game 
I was yes. extremely upset about <laughs> how that game unfolded and just what happened uh, on that dreaded noon kickoff. Um, hated that game. Just going to go ahead and tell you that. Um, and Fuller was on the sidelines. I want to say, is he still doing yes. that? Is he still um, there? He, I don't, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see this shorty does. I think he was, he was there for that one. I don't uh-huh. know that he was on the sidelines for all of Tennessee's games last year, but that that was a game. To briefly go on a, a tangent about that specific game, Great. it was just it, sorry it, you brought it up. It, it it was just the probably the most perfect mix of ingredients for Tennessee to pull off that upset because you had the, that moment where Tennessee was coming off a bye week, so they had an extra week to prepare. I mean, Pruitt had coached against Auburn, uh, I don't know how many times at Georgia and at mm-hmm. Alabama, so he he was very very familiar with that Auburn offense. You also had at that time that was when really a lot of the headlines really came to a head uh, of all the kind of the, the discontent and stuff going on in the locker room with Jarrett Stidham and everything. So you just had a, like you said, the noon kickoff where the, the stadium just wasn't as electric as it definitely can be uh, down there on the plains. It, it was just the, the perfect mix of everything for everything to kind of go right for Tennessee in that game. And, and Tennessee had their, their perfect matchup where their receivers could pick on Auburn's, you know, secondary and Auburn's secondary wasn't their strength. So it, it just ended up being, if it had been any other team that Tennessee is playing that week, I don't know that they would have been able to pull off that upset. But the fact that I think just you had a perfect storm for Tennessee to pull off that upset. And, and it, it did show, you know, there's the clips of Pruitt I mean, they needed to calling out the, because this was their first SEC ice. win in years. Yeah, it was their first SEC West win and the first SEC road win that wasn't a, a Vanderbilt or Kentucky in a while. Um, but it, it, you, I mean, you had the clips out there of Pruitt, you know, calling out the plays before Auburn, you know, when ask Auburn. Yeah, was, I remember that. Yes, yes, that. yes, So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was it was just a lot of different things. And it gave Vol fans hope of, hey, and that and the Kentucky win in Knoxville gave Vol fans hope of saying, hey, you know, they're winning games that they probably shouldn't. But then you had the ending of the season that just kind of, you know, deflated people and took the wind out of the sails. And that's why I think that's chiefly where a lot of the negativity is coming from is how the season ended. But then I also think a lot of the positivity is coming from those two big wins and the way that this staff recruited in the 2019 class and kind of the early returns you're hearing from a lot of those young guys too. What are, uh, I mean, the OC change seems like a very positive thing, right? Like it seems like everybody, like you got Jim Chaney, um, Georgia fans, I think we're okay with him. He's been on Tennessee staff before he's been, I think OC for 93 college teams at this point in his career, but like, <laughs> Are fans excited um, just by virtue of moving on from Helton to Cheney? Because it seems like there's no way it can't be an upgrade, at least from what it was last year. They're absolutely excited. And I've done my fair amount of research onto it. And in fact, if you if you all want to go to rockethopinsider.com right absolutely. now and search Jim Cheney, uh, an article I did, I think it was over the weekend or maybe on Friday, but I, I looked at kind of the actually, no, actually this was a little while ago i'm thinking of something else but it, it was it was a week ago i think when i did it it was still fairly recent but if you just search jim cheney on our site i did a piece where i looked at you know kind of the the cheney effect in his first year at taking over at programs and while overall statistically when he took over at, at pittsburgh arkansas and at georgia kind of the numbers wise they went down there were reasons why you look at pittsburgh they had james connor who suffered the season season ending injury in the first game of the year, season that year. And then he also had the, obviously his, his scare with cancer that came on later that year. So he, you know, Cheney lost his best player that mm-hmm. the, the first game of the season that year still ended up putting up that really, I would argue some really good savage year. 
Um, that was the he got brought in. Cheney did with the new head coach at the time, and I'm struggling Matt to remember. Narduzzi? The, yes, thank you with mm-hmm. with Narduzzi. Um, that was, of course he's there for one year, so he had that, and I think he lost uh, one of the other receivers that was really good on the team too from the previous season. So there's a reason there with Arkansas they had a whole shakeup with when they brought in uh, Brett Bielema. You had a pretty much a whole new offensive uh, team that he's working with. I, I think he had you know, a whole new starting quarterback. A different starting running back and I think they lost their top two receivers from the previous year That's at Georgia ironic, just because yeah. Arkansas is doing the exact same thing all over yes. again with Morris yeah. and everything yep. yeah um and in his first year at Georgia he ended up having it, obviously it was it was a good um quarterback but he had a, a true freshman quarterback that he was dealing with and they didn't really have any great receivers at the time uh, he had did have really good running backs with Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle but there, there was a reason I mean it, that didn't take a huge step back from the previous season but you look at what he did at Tennessee in 2009, his first year there. You look what he did um, and Purdue when he took over in 97 compared to what they were in 96 compared to what Tennessee was in 2008. And there was just drastic improvement. And this year's team with the, the roster they have and, and the way that the roster is made up, it, it compares pretty favorably to that, that 2009 Tennessee team and to that 97 Purdue team, whereas they return a, a – a, quarterback that has experience and those two teams had that too they returned a lot of the production from the offensive system from the previous season and Tennessee has that they, they, I mean they they returned something like I, I did the math on it and, and wrote it in an article at some point they returned something like 96 percent of their overall offensive production I think from mm-hmm. us because you have your starting quarterback your your top two rudder, uh, rushers all of your return receivers I mean you, you've lost the only guys you lost in the receiving core were guys who didn't really do a whole lot. And the only running back you lost was the grad transfer from Michigan State, Modger London. So you have your top two guys there. You, you also have Jeremy Banks, who was, I think, fourth on the team in rushing last year. And you bring in a, an electrifying freshman and Eric Gray there. I mean, you have, if you can fix the offensive line woes, if you can get them to even be average, you have, I think, what's setting up to be, you know, I don't I think they're going to be a top five offense in the sec but you're having a, i think what could be an offense that could still be right there in the middle of the road and that would be to me enough to to show significant improvement this season yeah and he's not tyson helton who exactly the one there it <laughs> seems like yeah there's just a lot of question marks with tyson helton in his first year that he would have times where i mean you look at that auburn game you look at the kentucky game and really look at the south carolina game too tennessee lost that one but it wasn't the offense's fault you look at those three games and you could circle you know, moments in other games too that you know they showed a lot of promises and hey this is a, this is what happens when you make the right play calls and, and you make the right decisions but then there were just so many other times whether it was against West Virginia in the season opener whether against was against Florida or Missouri or against Vanderbilt I mean there's just there there were more questionable and bad decisions by Helton and there there was also you know Pruitt wasn't happy with it so he he kind of stuck his nose into it and tried to you know take control of the offense a little bit too. And you could see that you, you could see the inconsistency, the, the kind of too many cooks in the kitchen at some times. And then the, the roster, the players didn't buy into it didn't believe into it. And you could tell that right there in the, the end of the season. So it, there is a lot going wrong. I think Pruitt is very relieved that he had kind of a mulligan, a, a do over after the first season that, because they were wanting to, they were really going to want to part ways with Tyson Helton anyway. And the fact that he went ahead and, he failed upwards. Shots yes, he, really did. He, he got the offer for the head coaching position and he took it and it worked out. It really worked out as well as it could have for both parties, I think. And I think Pruitt's very happy um, that he was able to get a mulligan. And the fact that he was able to go hire away Jim Cheney, I think, makes him even happier. Yeah, because I remember that whole thing where it, it finally happened. But I remember Georgia fans were like, no, they're not going to get like because that's been the running joke is they're trying to do with Pruitt what the, Georgia did with Kirby Smart. 
and then they just got him and they're like actually we want to coil anyway and <laughs> it's this it, it's an interesting battle um especially this year because georgia they play notre dame at home under the lights and then they have a bye and they go to tennessee um and just seeing what that game's gonna look like and how i mean people, georgia fans were really confident about that i'm like have you watched a lot of these georgia tennessee games in the last couple of years like mm-hmm. i just i wouldn't be confident about anything in that in that rivalry um t martin our guy t martin is on this staff a couple years ago people were like why isn't he getting a real look as the head coach before Pruitt got the job but he's there and i wonder with martin do you think he is going to be a big time player on the recruiting trail for them is he going to be someone who because it seems like by all indications he was big for usc in the recruiting aspect mm-hmm. and usc was pulling out top five at their top five recruiting uh cycles and for tennessee to get to that next level they have to get in that top five cycle like georgia did like alabama like those teams you have to jump into that texas a&m and everybody else fray to really turn the corner and not be like south carolina like you have to get a little bit higher you have to do a little bit more and you need those kind of coordinators who can bring in those guys do you think t martin is going to be like an unsung hero in getting tennessee and um some important um just kind of recruiting battles or is it just not getting Pittman away from Georgia with Cheney a bigger domino see I I you said would be an unsung hero I don't think he'll be that unsung I think he's a guy that obviously Brian Niedermeyer at Tennessee their their tight ends coach and one national recruiter of the year on, on two or seven sports in the 2019 mm-hmm. cycle he, he's going to take the headlines and Pruitt himself too because Pruitt um, showed a lot of recruiting pro- uh, prowess as a, a assistant and a, as a coordinator but T Martin is to me probably you could argue second best recruiter on the team. I, I obviously think you put Nita Bar number one. I think Pruitt and and, and Martin both are, are phenomenal recruiters, and he's already paying off a little bit. You look at um, Tennessee is, is going to be targeting a few more receivers in this class, but the one that they're really hanging their hat on right now, um, he's only I think a three star actually on the the composite rankings on two four seven sports, but the regular two four seven sports rankings have him as a four star, and that's Jalen Hyatt, who's actually at the same high school that um, current Tennessee cornerback. Bryce Thompson played at in hmm. South Carolina. Hyatt's a kid who was timed as an official 40 time at a, at a Nike regional uh, camp for one, for the opening at running a four, three, one But I have it on, on good authority from our guys here at um, Rocky top Insider. We do a, 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 we have partners with ball recruiting reports for our recruiting stuff here on RTI. And they, they know from people who were at that camp that the four, three ones, the, the official one to put out because, um, his unofficial time that I think one of the first things I, the first time he timed it was a four, two, seven 40. That, that was kind of the unofficial Jesus. time and the, the, the actual, yeah, the actual official one they put out was four, three, one. So this kid is supremely fast. Um, and, and T Martin was one of the big reasons he committed to Tennessee. You have T Martin also in on a guy like Raheem Jarrett, who is a five-star committed to LSU. Tennessee is, if, if he doesn't sign with LSU and it, it's looking, you know, fairly unlikely that like he will, uh, the cons- consensus seems to be that if he's going to flip somewhere, if he's going to sign somewhere else that isn't with LSU, it'll be Tennessee. And Raheem Jarrett is—I mean, he's one of the top receivers in this class. I, you can ask anybody, and and they'll say he's a guy who can come in and make an immediate impact wherever he goes. And you've got a few other guys that Tennessee is is targeting on the recruiting show, and, and T. Martin is a big player in all of those. So he's 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 absolutely going to make a big impact for Tennessee. Not just receivers. He's he's a guy who's he's kind of the regional. 
um, recruiter for kind of the Georgia area and Atlanta area because, I mean, he has a lot of ties there. He also helps out with some of the Alabama recruiting because that's where he's from. So he's a guy that's going to be in on a few other guys, not just receivers, but he's he's 100% um, going to make his presence felt with Tennessee on the recruiting show and as a as a um, coach because you also look at he, he was a secondary recruiter for Keyshawn Lawrence for Tennessee who is a mm. four-star safety in state so he, he's he's a guy that he's all over the place yeah he, he, he does a little bit of everything for Tennessee he has his regions and he obviously has his um, his position at receiver but he's going to help out in a lot of different ways I think he's going to be to me this staff is built with a lot of really good recruiters and right. he's probably the like I said the second best I would I would argue what do you think is going to be the most noticeable difference between the offense last year and this year? I think just simplicity. I, I, there's, we've talked to Jim Chaney. We've talked to other offensive coaches. We've talked to multiple offensive players, whether they're on the offensive line, whether it's Jerry Garantano, the, the quarterback, or the running backs, or anybody. Everyone we've talked to this offseason about the difference that, that Chaney's brought in is making it easier to understand, but at the same time, making it more difficult for defenses to key in on and to figure out. And Cheney's done such a good job in the past, whether it was at Tennessee or at Georgia or just wherever he's been, of figuring out, you know, what does this player do well? Even if it's just one thing, what does he do well and how can I utilize him on offense and how can I get him, you know, get to get the most out of him? I'm going to be doing a piece later this week um, about why, Tennessee tight end Dominic Wood Anderson should be very excited about working with Cheney this year because Cheney's had a, you know, people want to talk about how strong of a history he's had with, with quarterbacks and some of the quarterbacks he's coached and stuff. He's had a, a very strong career coaching up tight ends and developing them into NFL talents. So I mean, he had a Mackey award winner at Purdue. He had um, two guys he helped turn into um, NFL draft picks at Tennessee. Um, he had a, a couple of different guys at Arkansas. Hunter Henry was the main one. He helped turn into a draft pick there. Um, the same thing at Georgia, Isaac Nada, who, you know, didn't, I don't think lived up to the hype that he he came in with, but he still was a productive tight end. And, and Dominic Wayne Anderson has all the, the skills to be an NFL player. So I, I think that you're going to see this offense operate more efficiently. They're going to, Last year, they, they just ran at such a slow tempo, too. And then part of that was calculated and, and from Pruitt's side of things because, you know, he knew the defense wasn't deep and it wasn't going to be able to withstand an, an opposing offense if Tennessee's offense was going out there and, you know, running a really quick offensive tempo. But they ended up having by far the fewest offensive plays run in the SEC. I think they had 716, 719 offensive plays and the second closest uh, when it comes to the or second lowest in the SEC was Arkansas, and they still had a, over, over 800. So I mean, you're looking at a huge discrepancy in in the the total plays they were calling uh, last year compared to everybody else. I think you're going to see more plays. I don't expect there to be you know like a thousand plays called or anything like that, but I think you'll see it in 800s and and maybe up to 900. Um, I, I just think you're going to see more efficiency, guys getting more out of, or I guess Cheney getting more out of these guys that that have kind of you know that they've flashed a little potential guys like Ty Chandler who to me is a, a very dynamic playmaker he just hasn't had a chance to really show it off a whole lot but he, he averaged five over five yards per carry last year but only got like 115 carries um, he, he caught 19 passes but all, all all 19 of those receptions came in a four-game stretch in the middle of the season and he he didn't catch a pass in his other seven games he played in so I, I think you're going to see guys get utilized more effectively and like I said I, I don't think that's going to mean that Tennessee's going to have like a top five offense in the sec but i think it's it's going to be a lot better than what they had last year well, they, well, a lot better than what they've had the last two seasons because 
you know, as bad as 2018's offense was, 2017's was even worse. And, and the fact that 2018 was actually an improvement in pretty much every statistical category over 2017 just shows how bad that 2017 offense was. So I, I think you're going to you're going to see more efficiency and more guys who have been, you know, fairly, in my opinion, fairly underutilized in their Tennessee career get utilized more effectively. I think you need to bring back uh, Lane Giffen. I think that's what you're getting at. Hey, he, he, he was he home. is a a very 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 good offensive mind. I, yeah, I, he's he's doing a good job at FAU. I, I'd be very curious to see we kind of what happens with him. Year. Yeah, I, yeah, we'll see how they go this year. But I'd be very curious to see what happens with him in the next couple of years, as far as you know, if any kind of smaller Power Five jobs come open. Auburn what, might come open this year. Yeah, I, that's. I mean, we'll see if that happens. I don't know if they. I mean, pull it's coming open Kiffin, because basically, but, so uh, the the buyout obviously been reported everything else, but the boosters wanted him out for yep. sure last mm-hmm. year and they didn't get it because the president at the time big gus malzahn guy guess who's no longer the president the guy who loves yep. gus malzahn like mm-hmm. he lost his his guy and basically he has to win 10 games and i don't know if you've looked at auburn's schedule this fall um that is not a 10 with schedule yeah that is not a 10 win schedule no so he's getting fired like gus malzahn is just not going to be able to win enough and it's not even really his fault this year he's going to probably start a true freshman bo nix looks like he's going to be the guy i mean it's just it it's not happening probably like i would love for it to happen but i just don't think it's it's plausible and then you look at who's the most realistic guy like bob stoops there like he's not coming out of coaching i mean retirement and then he's like coaching the xfl it's like could you get bob stoops away from an xfl team i don't know maybe um (laughs) if he's willing to do that why wouldn't he be willing to listen to auburn we know they've talked before my number one pick would be josh heupel like i would just write a blank check to ucf and be like what is it going to take to get josh heupel in uh in auburn I think that'd be a, a good hire if it comes to that. But once again, that you know, you're you're hanging your hat on a guy who hasn't been at a. I mean, I guess UCF is, it's about as major of a program that's outside of the the Power Five. And you know, if you're looking back in the few years, you, you can compare them to like a Boise State back in the mid 2000s, right. where where they they were a a school that wasn't a Power Five program, but you know, they were competing at a high level and doing things other group of five teams weren't doing. So I think that would be. An interesting hire. It would be one, like I said, that you would still have a lot of questions, but he's obviously won at an extremely high level at UCF, and he's coached in the SEC. I mean, he was the mm-hmm. OC and quarterback's coach at Missouri. He also, yep. uh, I think he was at Oklahoma for a while as an yes. offensive coordinator there. So I mean, he, he's coached at big-time schools. So well, I, that wouldn't... I think it's also difficult to just step into that UCF thing yes. where they already had the winning streak and mm-hmm. just keep it going. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't think he gets enough credit for just being able to navigate that and keep just that train moving along. That's a tough thing. Yeah, I, I think Auburn's going to be interesting to watch this year. Um, I don't remember how we got yeah, to that so topic. Not but... interesting to watch last year. <laughs> but I, I, I think, last year. yeah, I mean, I, interesting in the fact of, like you said, it, it could turn into a dumpster fire for sure. I, 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 I'll, I'll be kind of curious to watch it from afar. Yeah, um, I and I'm also interested to see how much they are willing to shell out for a new coach. Like, do they, mm-hmm. the, like Dave Aranda? How much is it going to cost to get you away from LSU? You're already yeah. he makes more than I think like seventy something FBS one coaches right now head coaches at LSU. It's pretty wild. Like he's yeah, got he, a, he makes a great a gig. ton of money. But I wonder, like, do you ever just want to try it? Just be a head coach for a little bit, see if you can do it. Just just try it. Brent Venables, can we pry <laughs> you away? Like Auburn might be the perfect wild card to like ruin the Clemson dynasty by just plucking Brent Venables by just writing him a ridiculous check. I personally would be all for that. It'd be nice to see Clemson kind of 
stop. Although, I mean, it, it's it's weird because it's good in a way for SEC schools that Clemson is good as they are, but also Clemson's been coming in and stealing away some really good talent from SEC schools. I was schools. Say, they're not really recruiting in South So at the Carolina, same time... pulling from Georgia, Florida, right. that kind of I mean, area. I mean, they're coming into Tennessee and they've taken some yeah. Tennessee recruits too. So, I mean, you look at T. Higgins and, and Amari Rogers, those are two Tennessee kids. And then Trevor Lawrence was, I mean... Georgia. Yeah. He was served well. He was served up on a platter years ago for Tennessee to get him. He grew up a huge Peyton Manning fan. He mm. actually originally actually grew up in Tennessee for a while before moving, and then I mean Tennessee just completely just botched that, and then he ended up you know Tennessee going to Clemson. Losing their mind right now. You're oh no, I mean Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, all fans know that. I mean, if a bunch of all fans listening here, they know that story. I mean, yeah. there's you look at Clemson's roster. It's a it's a tale of what could have been. For Tennessee, like I said, you'd have Lawrence, you have Higgins, you have Amari Rodgers, and there's been a couple other ones that uh, you go through and say too. But I mean, they just those three right there. I mean, that would change the also, trajectory. How did Jimmy Clausen not go to Tennessee? How did both the other Clausens, even Rick Clausen, go to Tennessee and not the, Jimmy? What that's there? that that's a an interesting topic to get into. That I don't know how long we have, but <laughs> is it a complicated it, kind of story? Just, it it okay. was the Clausens didn't like kind of how things played out with Rick at the mm. end there, and that also kind of because Rick was bad at football. Did they not like the, t- he was, the dual threat he was, stuff with Brent Schaefer? Well, that was actually with Eric Ainge. The Rick Clausen thing was no, with... I thought Brent Schaefer was... No, Rick Clausen definitely shared time with Brent Schaefer. I remember yeah, that he, season. They, they, all, they all shared time because you had... Schaefer was in there as the running quarterback. You had Ainge uh-huh. that was... Uh, both those true freshmen got the playing time early on, but then Ainge, Schaefer got hurt, I think. I know Ainge got hurt, and then Clausen came in and had a decent ending to that 2004 season. And then in 2005, it was a true competition between Ainge and Clawson, but they sided with Ainge early on. And then Clawson ended up leading that comeback in, in LSU after Hurricane Katrina and kind of yeah. the, mostly the starter for the rest of the season for the most part for that one. And then, I mean, Tennessee had a bad year that year. And then Ainge came back in 06 with uh, Cutcliffe as OC and, and had a strong ending to his Tennessee career. But really, Clawson wasn't horrible. He just, he wasn't, obviously Casey and yeah. he just kind of had that always hanging Joe over. Cox, the Georgia era, Joe Cox, and maybe like Auburn's branding Cox. Sean I think White. it's a, I think, <laughs> I I think any more boring white quarterbacks <laughs> from the mid two thousand than the SEC. Um, I think I could, uh, I think this was the year. Didn't Tennessee have like that weird orange top to those away uniforms during the yes. Schaefer time? Huh? Then 2004, they had the, uh, very interesting throwback uniforms that they're trying to, it was it's supposed to be a throwback to, um, the Condridge hallway era. And it, it looked okay at first, but then it just the orange didn't match with the hell. Like it had like th- two or three different versions of their colors of orange on the on the whole uniform as a whole, and it just kind of ended up being a little bit of a mess. Awful. Um, what is your biggest? Actually, this is a two part question. Okay. Do you think this Tennessee team is, or this coaching staff, I should say, are they? If you had to bet on them getting in the top five in recruiting classes. For the next four years, top five, top ten, somewhere in that zone for a four-year stretch, because Bud Elliott basically outlined for you to get in the national title con- conversation, you have to have this four-year recruiting window where you're just top five or top ten every year. And I wonder, do you think with this Tennessee team, do you believe Pruitt can get there with this group? That they can recruit at that kind of level to really join the ranks of Georgia, Bama, Clemson, and everybody else. If there was a staff at Tennessee that I, if I was going to bet on them to do it, it would be this staff. And maybe you could also throw back that 2009 Lake Kiffin staff, but they obviously, that 2009 class they brought in, it, it did not pan out. And there's just a lot of kind of shady things they did. But I, I, I do genuinely think this is the 
the best staff in terms of recruiting that Tennessee's had in a, a very long time. It's going to, for this 2020 class specifically, the one that we're in right now, it's going to have to, it's predicated all on can Tennessee show enough improvement to show some of these guys like Savelle Smalls or Noah Sewell or, or Eric Gilbert or Rakeem Jarrett, you know, can they show enough improvement this year to show those guys, hey, your three, four years at Tennessee aren't going to be full of just kind of rebuilding seasons. We, we can actually, we're making progress now. Imagine if you joined in what we could do in your three, four years at Tennessee, we could actually get back to doing some things because we'll add you guys and then we'll add more even better players in the next recruiting classes. So I, I genuinely think that for Tennessee to enter, those, to enter that conversation, you're going to have to see Tennessee, it, it, in my opinion, at minimum go seven and five this season, which I, I do think is doable. Yep. But obviously if you go better than that, I think it's, it, it'll bode even better, but I think you're at minimum going to have to go seven and five and not have any blowout, blowout losses except to, you know, probably Alabama, maybe Georgia, but you're going to have to look more competitive in the losses you do have. Um, I, like I said, if I'm going to bet on a staff to, to, to do it at Tennessee, it'd be this one. I mean, and I think you're going to see probably this offseason a couple more coaching changes. I don't think you'll have a ton, but I do think you'll see a couple more changes. I don't, I don't, you know, don't want to go too far into that because I don't want to you know, talk a guy out of a, his, his job here before the season even starts. But I, I just think that with the way the contracts are run and you have a lot of guys that so are in the final year of their contract when they signed just to two-year contracts when they first got hired on. And I think... You, you'll see if those moves get made through it, bring in some more, even better recruiters to fill in those spots. So I, I think this head coach and the, his, his philosophy and his approach to football and his approach to recruiting, if there's going to be a staff and there's going to be a head coach, that's going to get Tennessee into that top 10, top five consistently that, that range of recruiting, I think it'll be this one. We, we saw Butch Jones do it. And I, I know obviously his were a little different because they were inflated a little bit by the numbers he was able to bring in. You can't do that really now with the way they've changed the recruiting rules. But if, if Butch Jones can get on paper a, a top 10 and a top five class, and I, I do truly genuinely believe that Jeremy Pruitt and, and his staff with Brian Niedermeyer and, and T Martin and some of the other guys he has on here, I think they can do it too. I would agree. Um, it's amazing. We've, done so much on tennessee and we have not talked about their quarterback jared garantano <laughs> who gonna go ahead and tell you my uncles are not fans dad not a fan just a lot of people are out on jared garantano and i don't think it's fair because he was thrown into the fire it feels like forever ago now but it seems like he could be really good this year where are you at with him i genuinely think he can be very good this year it, it, to me as you said i, I think a lot of the criticism has been unfair. I, I think there is absolutely fair criticism to have about Jared Garantano. I, I don't think he is, you know, a, a first team all SEC quarterback. I don't think he's a second team all SEC quarterback. That, like, the but, Butch Jones stuff that last, yes. year, like everything he was asked, like it was just a dumpster fire year that yep. it felt like he got burned. And there are a lot of things. Yeah, there are a lot of things that you and, and probably a lot of your listeners who you know aren't big Vol fans don't know that. I mean, he the reason you saw him in the first game of the season against Georgia Tech, where the cameras always were falling around and he was kind of pouting on the sideline. There were so many things behind the scenes, and I, and I have this from people who would absolutely know things like this. There are so many things from behind the scenes that year where Quentin Dormney was was promised playing time, Jerry Garantano was promised playing time, and they didn't deliver. And there was a lot of bias towards. Uh, one side of that one and there was just there was a lot of dissension and just pitting people against each other behind the scenes there there's just a lot of bad things that happened at the end of the butch jones era I mean, you know, beyond even that beyond the kind of tumultuous redshirt freshman year he had 
in 2017. I mean, you look at last year, he had some really good moments. He also had some bad moments, but a lot of the, the bad last year was because, I mean, he didn't have a division one offensive line blocking for him by this, right. especially by the end of the season, it, even, even beginning of the year, it wasn't a great offensive line, but you had Brandon Kennedy go down with a season ending injury after the first game of the year. He was your starting center. You had Trey Smith's blood clots uh, come back at, at, right before the South Carolina game. And he was held out for the rest of the season after he started the first seven. And he was still a little rusty. Didn't look like him's his old self, when he had the, the, the freshman all American season in 2017. I mean, you, you just had, the offensive line was hit by injuries and the offensive line was hit by the fact that they just weren't very good. And they were hit by the fact that Tyson Helton just the way he was doing his offense wasn't doing them a whole lot of favors a lot of times. And it, it, it to me, Garantano absolutely has things he needs to improve on. And they, I, I think he has done a good job of addressing this off season. He had, he had some things that, you know, he, he could definitely take steps forward, man. You look at some of the stuff he did as, as a redshirt sophomore last year, when his granted, they, they, the offense was run to kind of minimize mistakes his interception rate was better than Tua Tagovailoa's, and we saw Tua have you know an incredible season last year. Garantano's interception rate, as far as his interceptions compared to his pass attempts, was better than Tua's, and he's actually on pace to absolutely smash Tennessee's school record for best career interception rate. His interception rate is significantly better than what Peyton Manning's was at Tennessee, right. and Peyton he's Manning had efficient. like he's yeah, just yeah. someone who doesn't take those kind of chances. He's right. just. He's he's not going to be an NFL quarterback or anything like that, but he does have like the the Jake Fromm type stuff. Where yeah, he's he's a guy who's he can be a game manager, and that that right. kind of gets a negative connotation. But I think he can be a true game manager where he's not going. If, if he has an offensive line that can be decent enough, he's probably not going to really lose you games. If you're going to lose, right. it's going to be because of other reasons. It won't be because of Jared Garantano, which is a step up from um, quarterbacks of recent years and uh, yes. the Keller Chris variety and everything else. In Normandy, who was just I remember that tech game really well. I was sitting on the couch with one of my roommates at the time, and I was like, this is going to be incredible because I think this Tennessee offense really sucks. Normandy really sucks. But also, like, Georgia Tech, the way they play, they're just going to play keep away, and Tennessee is just going <laughs> to... Like, when they just had those three and outs, and it was like, oh, they just you could sense that they just knew they weren't getting the ball back for another seven minutes. And just mm-hmm. that whole first half was wild. It I, I very much enjoyed that. And the fact that Tennessee ended up winning that game is still insane. But love that game. I would love a 30 for 30 on playing keep away and the Normandy stuff in the first half. It was, it was sure. great. That, that was the game that, except for the ending, I've more or less just kind of tried to forget. Because it was just like you said, it, it, I, I don't know to this day how Tennessee won that game. They had like um, two minutes of possession in the first half. Mm-hmm. The possession battle, like the time clock, was one of my favorite things. We were just dying because I was like, "Go, oh, pull it up, pull it up." What is the time of possession? I guarantee you, it's like something crazy still. And they just pull it up. And I'm like, "Oh, this is this is the best." Uh, I'm gonna miss that tech nonsense where they're just <laughs> they keep the ball forever. And Taekwon took a beating in that game. I remember just how insane, like just the him just losing that game sucked because of how much of a beating he took from Tennessee, and he survived and it didn't even matter um but anyway another story for another day um who do you love on this defense we haven't really talked about tennessee's defense at all but who are you excited about on that side of the ball well several guys really i i am excited to kind of see what growth Darrell taylor has taken can he be more consistent because there were games last year you look at the two games specifically against georgia and kentucky i mean he was dominant he had three sacks against georgia had two forced fumbles he tied the school record uh, for sacks in a game when he had four against kentucky in that game I mean, they, they just i mean there are a couple of them that were 
easy to have, but they just could not stop him. I mean, he, he was wreaking havoc in that game. And then even in the season, he had a sack and three tackles for loss against Vanderbilt. But then the other nine games that he played, I mean, there were some times he just was non-existent. I mean, it, it, if he can show more consistency, he could play his way into maybe being a first-round draft pick this year. I mean, he, he, he returns as the leading sack guy in the, in the SEC. No other guy returns with more sacks from last season than, than Darrell Taylor. I don't know that he'll be a first-round pick. I think he can for sure play his way into at least a second-round pick. Um, I, I'm excited to see what him and Daniel Batuli can do as the the by far the most experienced guys in the linebacking core and probably the I'd say the leaders of this defense. But if you're going to look at you know kind of new faces or, or maybe some younger guys, obviously Tennessee's cornerback duo of Alante Taylor and Bryce Thompson. Uh, I'm just intrigued to see how they grow and and what they can do. Um, in their second year, as you know, started for almost the whole season as true freshmen last year. You know, how can they build upon that and what can they do as sophomores? I'm very intrigued by Trevon Flowers in the secondary, a guy who was looking like he was kind of, you know, the light was coming on. He was starting to put together a, a really good freshman year, um, especially in that Georgia game. He had a, an interception that I think his foot ended up coming down. I, I think actually there was there was a defensive penalty that called back the interception, but he made an incredibly athletic play and he was having a good game in that game. And then he ended up, suffering a an injury in that bye week before the Auburn game. And then he was out for all the way up until the last two games of the season against Missouri and Vanderbilt. And then he didn't play a whole lot on defense. He was mostly on special teams. I think Flowers is was a vastly underrated uh, recruit who Tennessee absolutely snagged away. He was going to give me a play in baseball. And Tennessee and a few other teams kind of convinced him, hey, maybe you should give this football thing a chance. I mean, I think Florida State was one that kind of was in on him, too. He ended up committing to Tennessee, and Clemson made a, a very strong a late push to try to get him, and Tennessee held on to him. And I think he's going to be a, a very good safety prospect for them. Of the new guys in 2019 class, the two guys getting the most buzz, and I, I think that's that everyone's most excited to watch are the two linebackers in Harry Toa Toa, Covaris Crouch. I think Toa Toa has a chance of I, – I don't think he will. There's a chance he could be a week one starter as one of the two inside linebacker spots. Crowd should be an intriguing guy to watch off the edge as an outside linebacker. And then there's Warren Burrell, uh, Burrell excuse me, who is a freshman corner who's pushing Taylor and Thompson right now. I don't think he'll unseat them as a starter, but he's a legit you know, option at that nickel corner spot because Balen Buchanan, the senior, um, he, he's looks like he could be missing the entire season because they, they found doctors discovered that he has – a, a a shrinking of the spine, which is awful. Doesn't sound good. No, yeah, it, it's it's an awful thing. They're trying to figure out, you know, hey, is this something we can control? Will he be able to play again? Um, if, I mean, obviously they're taking his health first and foremost before anything with football, but they're trying to figure out what they can do with him. And they, he does have redshirt available, so if he can't go this year, they can figure out something later on. He can redshirt and play next year. But with him being out, Warren Burrell was was already challenging for playing time anyway, and it looks like you could have him at this, the, the nickel spot, or, I mean, they can move Bryce Thompson into nickel and have uh, Mural down o- over on the outside along with Taylor. So I, I think that if you're looking at the young guys, Trevon Flowers, who is a red, who will be a sophomore this year, and then those three freshmen, I think, are the most intriguing. And then you can also could throw in Elijah Simmons as a, as a freshman on the defensive line, too, as a guy to keep an eye on. But I think those those four, to me, of the young guys, three freshmen and a sophomore are probably the ones I'm most excited about just because you get more excited for the new guys, but also I think they, they have a lot of upside. Okay. Last thing and we'll wrap up here. Um, the schedule, how do you think it goes out? Is there anything that really concerns you? What, what do you, what do you think the schedule, um, what, what do you think it puts 
Tennessee at this year? I know you went back and forth on seven and five, but like, mm-hmm. what is there any landmines? Is there any stretch that you're like, oh, this is going to define the season? As as always, the the kind of end of September, all of October is going to be Tennessee's toughest stretch. I mean, you have once you get into SEC play, you have Florida, then you do have a bye week, um, but then you you come back after that, and you play Georgia um, at home, Mississippi State at home, on the road against Alabama and South Carolina at home. That's not an easy stretch of, of games, and, and Tennessee's October never is an easy stretch of games. So, like you said, you, you do get. It's nice that Tennessee has a bye week before they play Georgia. I don't think it'll matter a ton. Probably, I think Georgia should still pretty. I wouldn't say handily, but they, they should still. You know, most people are talking up that game as a loss, and I think they should. Um, I think you never the, know in that game. Like, yeah, you never just, know. You never know. I, I would still be pretty surprised if Tennessee wins that game, but you could keep it close. It could be like the 2013 game where Tennessee was out talented and outmatched and still somehow almost won that game. Um, but I, you talk about a potential they beat Georgia with Jonathan Crompton and yeah. I was at that game. It was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Just that beat down. I, I just yep. will never rule out anything. Yeah, that, that that's, that's a good example. Um, you were talking about potential landmines. I, I think while I think Tennessee will win this game, it's, it's an early test. And it's it's going to see kind of where Tennessee is. And that's against BYU because I think BYU has a very good offense. I, I don't, think they have I haven't looked into them a ton yet but I don't think they have a great defense I've looked more at their offense they have a good offensive line they have a really intriguing and, and, and what I think is a very good young quarterback who took over last year and Zach Wilson and he I mean this he is at home right it's it'll be at Tennessee yeah, yeah. it's going to be under the lights in Neyland and it's also an interesting fact it's going to be the first game this year where Tennessee is going to have beer sales at Neyland Stadium so mm. you're going to have a very rowdy crowd in, in Neyland Stadium for that game um, but I think that's a game where I would hesitate to label it as a as a landmine, as you put it, but I think it's a game where I mean, you better come ready. BYU is not going to lay lay down, and I mean, they, they've given uh, some some top teams a good run for their money the last few years. Um, I mean, they they haven't beaten SEC school in a while, but they've come close. Um, but I think that Mississippi State to me is a game where it's a it's very much a toss up game. Yes, it's in Neyland Stadium, it's in Knoxville. But that's a, a team that while they lost, uh, obviously, their their starting quarterback in Nick Fitzgerald, I think they're they're going to be better on defense than people are giving them credit for. I think they have a very good front seven, a very good defensive line. I think their quarterback situation, it, it might end up being, I wouldn't say better for them, but it could end up being maybe a, a case where not even addition by subtraction, just a case where you have a quarterback who can throw the ball better because Nick Fitzgerald wasn't the best thrower of the football. And I think that Mississippi state game, I currently have it as a loss, but I could see it going either way. I just think, I think a lot of all fans are kind of overlooking Mississippi state and not giving them enough credit. Maybe the same thing for Kentucky. I, I do think that, I mean, if Kentucky couldn't beat Tennessee last year, I don't think they're going to beat a BM this year, even if, though it is in Lexington, but that game, you can't, to me, you can't just guarantee that as a victory. And that's going to be a Kentucky team that still will have, you know, a decent team and they're going to be fighting for, I mean, they have a decent schedule that sets up the way it does. And once that game's played in November, it'll be, I'd just be very curious to see where both those teams are physically and mentally when they get to that point. Because I do think Tennessee loses to Missouri again. And you get, you come on the last game of the season against Vanderbilt. And that could be, again, another crucial game for Tennessee. They haven't beat them in three years, which is crazy to say out loud, but they haven't. But I, I think potential landmine games are Mississippi State and Kentucky. I think BYU is one to watch. And I think Tennessee. Very much could be looking at a, a seven-win season, but I mean, this 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 team, the floor and the ceiling are so far apart in this one. I think you could have anywhere between a, a five and seven to, I I, th- I think that's very unlikely, and I also think nine and three is unlikely. But I think those are your floors and ceilings. I think definitely something in between there 
like a seven and five is much more likely, but I think the floor is five and seven. I think the ceiling is nine and three for this team. I think, I just think there's a lot of kind of unknown about this team and a lot of just interesting things and interesting toss up games on the schedule to where I mean, you look at the schedule and you're not, you're not seeing a whole lot of guaranteed wins, but you're not seeing really a ton, in my opinion, of guaranteed losses either. I think worst case scenario, they win eight games. Wow. Worst case scenario? Worst case scenario. Wow. I think they're going to survive that middle stretch. They're going to get one of those games. Like, they're going to either be, like, they're not going over four against South Carolina, Bama, Georgia, and Florida. I yeah, I don't, don't. I don't think so either. I think, I think they at least beat South Carolina of, of that group. And if you, like, I'm penciling in those first three wins. So that's just three right there. They're going into the Florida game, I think, undefeated, which is going to be fun because Florida should be, mm-hmm. well, we'll have to see what Florida does this week against Miami. But there's a chance that that is two undefeated teams. And that's going to be awesome right away because um, that rivalry is better when they're both good. Um, I just, I think they'll drop two of those games in that stretch, maybe three. If you told me three, that's fine they're going to run the table down the stretch. UAB, obviously, super well coached. Great story. They're beating UAB at home. Mm, they they're should, yeah. Kentucky. And I don't think Kentucky's going to be as good as they were a year ago. I'm going to go ahead and give the Vols a win there. Then you go to Missouri. I Are we sure? Like, that team is playing for nothing at that point, right? Because it, Kelly Bryant, by the way, picking a school in his last year of eligibility that is not bowl eligible... Still one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Um, he could have just gone to Auburn and he <laughs> to um, Missouri where like it doesn't seem like they're going to get that waiver, right? Like they're going to be banned from ball games this year for that weird tutoring thing, which is to me, it's dumb. I, I it's don't think dumb, that, I don't but think like, be he knew that that was going on. Like this has been something going on for a while mm-hmm. and he still chose a place where he literally can't compete for anything. So I wonder how Missouri players look at the end of uh, this fall. Then you have Vanderbilt at home who just it's Vanderbilt and it's at home. So I just, I see like three or four losses there. That's it. I think they're going to go eight and four, nine and three. I would be floored if they're 500 or worse. Floored. Yeah, I, I would I'd be pretty surprised. Like I said, I, I would be pretty shocked if they went five and seven. And I would still be, and I would actually be pretty surprised they went six and six. But I, I, I maybe I'm just, maybe I'm more of a believer more in cautious, Missouri. Yeah, I I'm more of a believer in Missouri than, than you are, obviously. And, and, and that's... Missouri's good. Missouri's a yeah, top 25 team. Yeah, they are. Team. They, they have an easy schedule. Good. They could easily already have 10 wins by the time they play Tennessee in the second to last game of the season. I mean, you look at their schedule, it plays out very well for them. But to to a point to that, um, former Missouri wide receiver who now does a lot of media stuff, TJ uh, Moe. I say Dorian Beckham. No. <laughs> Dorian Green Beckham? No, TJ, TJ Moe. He, he does a lot. Okay. I think he, he hosts a radio station or hosts a radio show. Wait, I thought he was a, a tight end. Was he a receiver? Mm-hmm. He was a receiver. But he was like the big he, white guy, right? Yeah, he yeah he wasn't a fast receiver, but he was a receiver. Okay, maybe I just like penciled him in as like big number because he's like a weird number too. Was he like twenty eight or something? Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I don't remember his he number. Had a weird number. I remember T J Mo. I don't know why, but I remember T J Mo. He was uh, like he, Jeremy Macklin. No, of course not. Um, but he he talked about he made a good point that it, it seems like every year that Missouri is expected to do really well, they kind of you know crap the bed a little bit but when but the years when they're not expected to do great like last year they were kind of i mean they were they were spot thought to be okay last year well, i'm trying to remember that he get he, yeah, what their ex- expectations were last year now but i think they're expected to be decent last year and they kind of were just decent but they're expected to be really good this year and he gave other examples of other years not just even in the sec but when they were in the uh, big 12 too and you know talk about years where they were supposed to be competing for you know different division crowns and things like that and they kind of fell flat but other, other years you know when they back, look back at the 20 20- 14 team that that kind of came out of nowhere when they won the sec east so 
I think it's they're just going to be they're they're the wild card, like you said. If they, especially if they don't get eligible, they're not playing for anything. So either that that can either make them just have you know apathy, or they come out just guns a blazing every single game it and say, like "Hey, we're not, Miss, who yeah, we're not we're not going to be ineligible for like thirty seven years now." Yeah, but to me, that's either going to go two way, two ways. They're either going to like I said, come out with apathy and not play right. hard, or they're going to come out just guns a blazing, saying, "Hey, we got nothing to lose. Let's just go out here and, and just have some fun and and you know maybe." just beat some guys down. So, and, and there's always, there is an edge Barry Odom does not like Tennessee. I don't think he likes Jeremy Pruitt, um, hmm. Missouri with also Derek Dooley as the offensive coordinator there. Correct. So you have that. So Tennessee legend, Derek Dooley, sir. Yeah. There, there are just a lot of reasons why that Missouri is, is not going to overlook Tennessee in that game. So I, I, I as you said, I'd more this cautious. Be a huge game. I think yeah. we just talked ourselves into like Missouri, Tennessee being like a, that's like something where both teams are going to be flirting with Tim wins maybe. And that like be, might be an sec East, like late season Goliath that we're not expecting right now, but both teams are ranked and both teams are firmly in that top 20 standing at that point. Hey, that'd be, that'd be awesome if it was, cause that, that'd be a lot, really good thing for Tennessee. And also it'd be, it'd be just very intriguing kind of season for Missouri, no matter what kind of happens for them in postseason play. All right. Well, I think we covered everything. It feels like it. <laughs> even even in years past, we kind of covered the past a little bit too. Exactly. Exactly. If if I didn't if I did not dive into Brent Schaefer on a Tennessee <laughs> podcast, I don't really know if we actually did a Tennessee podcast. Um, Mr. Rutherford, is there anything you would like to plug before you get out of here? Yeah, just go check out our website, RockyTopInsider.com. I, I mentioned earlier that I'm going to be doing a piece um, here in the coming days. Probably, it, it might even be. Um, on Tuesday or Wednesday, like here very soon, of of you know looking at what Jim Cheney's done with tight ends. I've got a piece up there of how Jeremy Pruitt has improved his defenses in year two, um, and you know Tennessee with going into year two of his defensive system this year. So look at what he did at year two at Georgia, year two at Alabama. We'll have continuous recruiting coverage. Tennessee picked up a, a big commitment from four-star BJ Ojolari on Friday and. Um, they're going to have a couple different guys announcing on Tuesday, Wednesday of this week who they have a, a good shot of landing. So we'll have continue recruiting coverage. That's RockyTopInsider.com. Uh, we have social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and also our YouTube channel, which we're using a lot more now. So just search for Rocky Top Insider on all of those. We have podcasts we do um, every week. It's You can subscribe to us. Uh, same thing you do with Chase's podcast here on Apple, Apple Podcasts. We also mm-hmm. have available Android devices, and we also have our podcast available on YouTube as well. So we okay. do a little bit of everything, and you can find us pretty much everywhere. There you go. Do it. Mr. Rutherford does great work. Always a pleasure, sir. Don't be a stranger. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Chase. I appreciate it. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you to uh, today's guests. Thank you to Panko Chicken, our presenting sponsor. Um, if you love today's episode and you would like to help the show continue to grow and get bigger, um, go and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate it. You can also listen on Google Play. If you're an Android person, you can go to chasethomaspodcast.com where you can get access to all my previous episodes, all my articles, and all that good stuff. Um, you can listen on Spotify. So the Chase Thomas podcast is there. Um, wherever you're looking for a podcast, the Chase Thomas podcast is there. I promise. Follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. Uh, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Chase double underscore Thomas. Just I'm all over the place, but, um, I just appreciate you listening and more episodes to come. So thank you as always for your support and I hope you listen again very soon. Thanks guys. Thank you.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.